1: Today's topic is the Tusk Logistics Story with my friend, Ben Emrick. How's it going, Ben? It's going well, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk to you about this. This is a great topic, guys. So um, this we're going to talk a lot about parcel today. And anyone who listens to my podcast knows I do talk sometimes about all of those regional parcel companies. And Ben is an expert in all those regional parcel companies. And very interesting story today. So stick around. Ben, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today.
0: Yeah, thanks, Joe. So my name is Ben Emmerich. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Tusk Logistics, and I'm joining you from Chicago, Illinois. Very nice. Very nice. So what does Tusk do? So Tusk is a national network of the best regional small parcel carriers, and we exist to drive value to large e-commerce shippers, specifically with predictable pricing, reliable service, and proactive support.
1: Yep. So... Everybody knows there's FedEx, and everybody knows there's UPS. What not everybody knows is there are a lot of other regional small parcel players.
0: There's a regional everywhere. Everybody has one, and unless you know what to look for, you often don't see them.
1: Right, and they might do two states or just one state or just a metro a area. <laughs> right? And,
0: yeah, totally.
1: and in this day and age when small parcel is increasingly important, UPS and FedEx, they're great. They always will be, from what I can tell. But uh, it's always nice to have another option.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, big big purple, big brown, and the red, white, and blue, the postal service.
1: Oh, that's right. I didn't count them in, but I
0: should have because <laughs> they are a player in all this. They do really well. And they're not going anywhere. But there are providers on the ground that often do better and for a lower price. The challenge is it's just really hard to access those networks at scale easily, and that's the problem we're solving.
1: You know, for the longest time, I've I've worked with small parcel and I've worked for it for a long time, and I sometimes say small package, and I don't know why, but I, I just keep slipping. I notice people like you say small parcel though, so I'm trying to say only small
0: parcel you know honestly joe i don't think it matters i just think now we say parcel like i i truly i don't think there's much more to it i think well i think there is a legacy like um if you go back and you look at like the old advertisements for ups they just use the word package back then i just think the vernacular has evolved to say parcel there's nothing more Nothing more to it that I know of. <laughs> well, I just don't
1: want to seem like I, when I'm. I just don't want to seem like I don't know what I'm talking about, you know. Because every once in a while, you say a word oh, no, that kind of exposes you as, oh, that guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, and uh, that happens a
0: lot on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> at, at least you're self-aware. <laughs> <laughs> the trap that we often fall into is we we should always say parcels, like that's the physical description of what we are sending. But the trap we fall into is sometimes we say labels and labels can get really confusing really fast because there are parcel labels, there's manifest labels, there's, you know, LTL labels. So like we, we try to train our team to stay away from saying the word labels and instead say parcels because parcels. If you're speaking with a director of operations and you say parcels, they immediately categorize you correctly if you're Tusk. <laughs> right. Whereas if you say labels, they might be thinking of a different kind of labeling problem they're having. So we have to be really crystal clear about that. Right.
1: So I want to talk a little bit about you. Then later on, I want you to kind of walk us through the the, the journey of a parcel. And the reason I say sure. that is because I know there's, there's the pickup and then there's these sortation facilities. And I want to talk about all of that because... When we say small parcel, it used to just mean to me FedEx or UPS, and for a while DHL when they were around here. But and USPS for United States Postal Service. But increasingly, we have companies stepping in and doing sortation and using the postal service. And then I think, is it FedEx or UPS that uses the postal service for the final mile on some?
0: A lot of it, yeah.
1: So so these lines get blurred so easily. So somebody says, is this going to ship UPS or FedEx or USPS? And it might be UPS plus the Postal Service. And and so many of the, like, I think it's Pitney Bowes and some others, DHL, where they have big parcel businesses, but they don't do that final mile. They let the Postal Service do it for them. So we'll walk through all that in a minute. But
0: first things first. Tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started Tusk. I am a Midwester, midwesterner, born and bred. So I was born in Madison, grew up in a little town called McFarland, just outside of Madison. Went to the UW Madison for school, so I was a bad Nice. Yeah, yeah. Now, is that did
1: you have to live at home?
0: No, gosh, no. I don't know. It was it was the best of both both worlds because it was close enough where like in a pinch I could go home and like get a meal, do my laundry, but it was also far enough away where I could hide away a bit. So Yeah, I if, have um if I, needed, I didn't need to see my family. <laughs> right. I have
1: um I have family over there in Wisconsin, so I do have um nephews and nieces who went to uh Madison. It's a great tradition. Great town too. I've never been. I've been to Wisconsin hundreds of times, but never drove up to Madison.
0: <laughs> I feel embarrassed. I would love to see a football game there. You should definitely go. You should go for a football game. It's like one of the only campuses in my experience that's like meaningfully integrated into the city proper. And that gives it a really like interesting feel. Like you feel connected to the yeah. city of Madison, not just on a campus. Madison's great. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, I've I've heard the same said about Ann Arbor because you have yeah, you're, you're walking you're walking through you're walking through a neighborhood and you're like, oh, this is university, of Michigan. Admin building and yeah, that's I've I've heard those often compared as great college towns and uh, God, I love good college towns and not all college. I, I won't rip on any any college, but not every college town is great because they some just cater just to the kids and that's not good enough. As you get a little older, you're like, I want to go somewhere besides a hamburger place. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you got to have somewhere to go when mom and dad visit. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love Madison. So what'd you study there? I was a Latin and a history double major. And I thought that I was going to be a Roman military historian. And the moral of this story is listen to your parents because the summer between my junior and senior year, my dad suggested to me, hey, Ben, maybe you should uh, get a business certificate, like a business minor, like just in case, just maybe just think about it. And I did, and my dad was right, and i uh I in my senior year, I realized amidst doing my honors thesis that I was like being a professor was not being like Indiana Jones it's actually just like living in a library and writing and producing, and I realized like that wasn't the career I wanted for myself, and thankfully, I had followed well, my dad your dad's, dad's your dad was suggestion, right. and yeah, I was lucky I got um hired uh, out of undergrad by Google, who came on campus to interview and so I got hired in the summer of 2008, right before the recession, as a like frontline customer support agent for Google AdWords, like Google's advertising platform. So that's what brought me from Wisconsin out to California.
1: Ben, I'm going to have to do a separate podcast on this because you just brought up something. I, didn't, I talked to you for an hour the other day and we did not talk about this, but... Years ago, I was in Vegas, and and I was in my hotel room, and I was watching a special on TV, and it was about Rome, the Roman Empire, and which I love. If there's a documentary on Rome... Incredible,
0: incredible, incredible logistics story. Well, yeah, that's right what
1: on. I was just going to say. So there was this one story, and I'm going to completely botch it in front of a, an expert, which I apologize. <laughs> but there was this one story where they no said, expert. as they went... As Rome left Rome and they were fighting these Germanic tribes and, and they got further and further from Rome. And from what I understand, the rations that a lot of these soldiers would get would they have wine and they would have olive oil and they could make their own bread. So they were, that was what they traveled with. And as you can imagine, that's, that's not too difficult to carry, right? Those were their rations. And as they got more into, these, into Germany, they could, their supply line was far away. You can't grow wine, grapes in Germany at that time, and not olives either. So they were further and further from their food. And But what was interesting, I thought was funny, actually, was these Germanic tribes that drank beer. And they said, and they were barbarians. That's what the Romans would call them. That's, of course, they wrote the history. But they said, yeah, the Germans kind of kicked their ass. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, that kind of makes sense. The guys who were bringing their own wine and olive oil, <laughs> getting beat up by the barbarians who were drinking beer, I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. But I I love that story. But they outran as their the supply line
0: of the as the descendant <laughs> of beer drinking barbarians. I have to say that beer beats wine any day. Oh yeah, so. you're from you're you're from Wisconsin. <laughs> you're from Wisconsin. By the way, this is probably nothing to joke about.
1: But I saw it. It was on YouTube the other day. I said the drunkest counties in America. They're virtually all in Wisconsin, and and it's basically because of that German Irish. Polish uh, history you guys have, and got a lot of Hispanic people there too now. They like they like to drink beer.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of warm bar stools in Wisconsin. <laughs> yes, so. yes, yes,
1: yes. Um, but anyway, I I love that story. And it, and basically, it's a story of logistics because you have it is when you're back in the olden days. Obviously, there's no trucks hauling your stuff, but you're hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of miles from your your supply line, and you're fighting people who are right in their own neighborhood. And
0: logistics is really the story of like, how you get something from where it is to where it needs to be, right? Like it, it hasn't changed in millennia to a large degree. And like, we're just working on the latest iteration.
1: Yep, so if the, Romans had, if the Romans had Tusk Logistics, they could have sent their stuff, it would be a lot better. So tell us, what'd you do at, what'd you do at Google? Give us
0: a little more of your career highlights. So I I spent 10 years at Google and I did a variety of things. I started in customer support, then I sold advertising for a couple of years. But I spent the balance of my time, I was lucky to spend the balance of my time on the Google Shopping product. And so at Google Shopping, I did some operations and I ended up on the business development team. And I was responsible for relationships with really large retailers like Costco and Target. And then because I got the reputation as being the guy to go to for large bureaucratic partners, difficult to navigate, but also like tons of value in those partners. I was kind of handed FedEx and UPS and the postal service. And so wow. that was my first foray into small parcel. And quite honestly, like I, I fell into it. and just really loved it. I loved like, I love the physicality of small parcel logistics. Like you're, you're not moving like Digital goods across the web, like you're physically moving a widget in a box from point A to point B. There's physical considerations as part of that, and yet there's like such this, uh, there is such an overlap and an influence of digital, especially like systems, tooling, and at the end of the day, so much of the volume via e-commerce is sourced digitally that it's the first, the first time where I was like. Sitting as in my mid twenties at a building in Google and being like, "Oh, I think I like this small parcel world. Like this feels like I'm so interested in this." Right, you were hitting like it at time. the right
1: time too because it was a sleepy yeah. business before e-commerce. I mean, it, it was. was always there and it was always important. And it seemed as I worked for a company and we did small parcel, and there was a kind of a waning of small parcel, and why? Because of the internet and used to be if you used to get your real estate stuff sent to you sometimes the closing papers were fedex right a lot of things were sent documents sent fedex or ups overnight less and less of that was necessary with the internet and it seemed like well okay parcel's seen its best time seen its best day and then e-commerce hit and bam right back in business and then some
0: well oh yeah and then some yeah totally and we saw that firsthand at google so we were so the reason i needed to work with the parcel carriers was because at the time google shopping had a product called google shopping express and it was like uh, one of the first forays meaningfully into same day delivery or like direct store fulfillment so we set up fulfillment at the back of a costco and we were pulling items off their shelf and then delivering them locally to folks within call it a 30 to 50 mile radius and initially Google had built its own delivery network of like messenger companies and like super scrappy DIY, like build your own, like eat your own dog food kind of Google mindset. And very quickly, we looked at the cost per unit. We were like, wow, this is not sustainable. And so that's when we started integrating existing parcel carrier networks, starting with the nationals and then kind of because we were on the West Coast at the time. We integrated a strong regional on the West Coast called Ontrack, and so Ontrack was the first partner. Yeah, they're first one of those regional regional,
1: regional carriers, right?
0: And for me personally, like that was the first kind of like I had to really come up to speed on like what is a regional carrier? What do they do? Why do they exist? Why are they different? Why are they cheaper? Like, and it was a really. Amazing eye opening experience for me. So I was the one doing the negotiations initially and then the integration work and strategic partnerships with yeah. those parcel carriers. I
1: always think if it says Google on your resume right out of school, that's kind of a badge of honor. So what so I imagine that after you've been there ten years.
0: Joe, I I have to be honest, I was a pre-recession Google hire. I was more lucky more lucky than smart, I have to tell you. So Well that's not nothing just wrong with full, that. In full disclosure, in full disclosure, this is a you're talking with a very lucky man. I also met my wife at Google, so I'm doubly lucky.
1: So. Oh, gosh, so you you're <laughs> gonna have smart kids now. Well, you have three kids and I'm sure they're all very smart. You don't get hired for because two... Google was what like for a while there was all those like here's the questions they ask at Google and there was all of these really difficult questions yeah, to like get ping, hired.
0: Ping pong ping pong balls on a school bus.
1: Yeah, like yeah, I remember yeah. like, yeah, so they wanted to see how you how you think and problem oh, solve. Yeah. So you didn't have to come up with the right answer, but you had to have a, a process that they admired. Apparently,
0: that's so, right. So where'd you go after Google? So after Google, I joined the team at Shipo. So ah. Shipo is a yes. So Shipo is a, a shipping infrastructure platform that is focused on small and medium e-commerce merchants. They have both like a UI and an API, so they can they can do a lot for a lot of different types of shippers. But I joined their team as a director of carrier partnerships initially, and then took on a lot of the BD work generally within the team. So like working with, you know, systems providers like a shopping cart platform or an OMS or an IMS or a direct retailer, integrating Shippo's technology to help them connect to the parcel carriers more easily. And then I just uh, partnered deeply with parcel carriers who did a lot of the work that I had been doing at Google, where I was working closely with the parcel carriers to design programs that brought them incremental customers incremental volume
1: yep and by the way i have interviewed jonathan kish on my podcast your friend you he worked at shippo with you at the same time and he introduced us and we will all see you at manifest i told jonathan i've talked to him this morning i said remember when i think it was elon musk saying this could all be a simulation this you know this world that we're. i was like Hey, that could be me. I could be in a simulation because I only see people in digital format or audio format. I don't ever see anybody in person for years, it feels like, other than (laughs) here in Detroit area. They have a real small... But now I'm traveling. I'll be out in Vegas. I'm going out to Portland after that. But yeah, so I look forward to meeting you.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you and Jonathan, who is an incredible guy, working for an incredible team, uh, doing fun things now. Um, He's over at Orderful,
1: which I've interviewed Jonathan at Orderful too. And guys, I, I will put a link to that podcast because people don't believe me when I tell them what they do at Orderful because it kind of blows you away because they do, I think they call it an EDI integration platform or just edi platform so basically if you have to connect to a retailer in your logistics company you go oh that integration is going to take this long you know they can do it like that because they're already connected to that retailer and a lot of companies take months to get connected to edi integrations and the time is a lot of the hassle but a lot of money too
0: well it's so Jonathan and his team at Orderful are building a really important infrastructure layer. So, in the same way that I make it easy, or Tusk makes it easy to access regional carriers, Orderful makes it really easy via this EDI system to access all of that complicated kind of infrastructure stack for those large shippers. And I think most so most really people, important.
1: And I think most people are like me, where you go, I know what EDI is at a high level. It's communication. It's an older. It's an older communication format, but it's not going away because some of the largest companies in the world are using it.
0: They pay pay the bills. They can decide on the system. So so.
1: So if you're one of these large companies, it might be a Ford motor. I don't know what Ford uses. Ford or General Motors or Kroger or whoever, and they give you business. You're delighted to get that business, but now you've got to connect to their system. And sometimes that could take months. And what you're missing out is sales every single day that you're not connected. So- when it's also link to that.
0: You, yeah, you should definitely link the Ortiful. They're great, and I I think like the more important thing that people should be asking themselves, and I ask myself this now that I run a team, is like where should I be spending my time, right? And like a partner like or a partner like Tusk, really what we do is we help our customers, our shippers, our vendors to like focus on where their time is like the most value add. Like, and I can assure you that. When we do EDI integrations, we're calling Jonathan and the Orderful team, and we're not <laughs> we're not doing it on our own. <laughs> everybody, I introduce
1: them to. I always I just introduced them today and to somebody, and he said that they go. When I told them what Orderful does. They're like, no way. I go, I am not an expert, but that's what they do. You
0: got yeah. to talk yeah. to.
1: Anyway, yeah. back on track. So, so what was after that? What was next? You, you went to.
0: So I spent I spent 10 years at Google, I spent 4 years at Shippo and then I left Shippo to start Tusk Logistics. So when
1: and why did you start Tusk? What 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 hole did you see in the market that you said that's what we're going to do?
0: So I left in 2021 and the reason that I I centered myself on this like idea of opening access to regional carriers was because I kept hearing from large shippers after I left Shippo. I spent a lot of time just like having pretty wide ranging diligence discussions. I was like trying different ideas and having conversations with former colleagues and partners and shippers and potential customers. And I kept hearing from large e shippers that they felt overly dependent on their legacy national personal carrier, no matter if that was brown, purple, red, white, and blue, they felt like they were pushed into a corner by their relationship with that and, party. and you really
1: can't negotiate. I mean, they're, they're, uh, nice. they're getting their money. No. And for good reason. I mean, again, those there's a reason those guys can demand
0: that money. Well, and, and if you in, in fairness to them, they, they were inundated with volume during the pandemic, and they were overloaded operationally. Well, the solution to that is they have to build out more capacity. Well, it takes cold, hard cash to build out capacity, right? So, you know, they're in a position where, you know, if they're going to continue to do a decent job, they have to build out network capacity. But the end result of that is like the shippers pay.
1: Yeah. And not every not
0: everything's good business for them either. That's another thing that you have to consider. And so, you know, if you if you rewind the clock a decade or even like five years, those those legacy national parcel carriers were optimizing for volume into their network. You would get a a contract a very complicated hard to understand contract for what it's worth but you would get a contract and at the bottom of the contract they would have volume tier discounts or like incentive discounts so if you surpass you know x tens of thousands you get y discount etc and they were trying to incentivize you to give them more and more volume well now they don't need that volume so they've gone from optimizing for volume in their network to optimizing for margin per piece and what they care about now is a margin, which means if you're a shipper, better get your wallet out. <laughs> right, right.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I I was thinking about this before we hit record. I'm thinking like probably 10 years ago, I wrote a blog post and it was about regional regional parcel carriers. So it was a blog post. And I remember thinking I had done this exhaustive research, I am, which is just me Googling, right? So, and I think I wrote about what I knew to be five of <laughs> the five regional carriers out there. And I'm guessing you're going to tell me there's more like 20 but or 25, but that has exploded now. And not so long ago, I did a podcast with, um, oh, drawing a blank on the guy's name. And he does all the parcel um, stuff. I'll put a link to that. And he was, we we're talking about all the home delivery guys, because the lines have blurred when you start to look at someone and say, okay, well, they deliver to a house parcels. Is it a parcel provider? Somebody goes, no, it's a final mile provider. Yeah, you start to go, yeah. you know, the, the lines yeah. are blurring in this business. So anyway, how So we many- say
0: carrier. Yeah. We, we say carrier. Like we're very intentional with our language. So at Tusk, everything is built around driving value to the shipper. The shipper is our customer. That's who we serve. Shipper first. Like- The buck stops at putting shippers first for Tusk. Our carrier partners are, we say carriers explicitly. They see a lot of value from us because we're essentially a channel partner for them. We're bringing them net new volume, net new customers. And yeah, you're right. Like in the past, it was a very small number of those carriers. And that number has exploded. Yeah. And that's good. That's good, right? Like more optionality means more customized solutions, means more value in the market it just means it's also very complicated, hard to navigate. And at the end of the day, if you're a, you know, if you're the director of operations in a direct-to-consumer e-commerce merchant, you're worried about like, do I have enough labor on the floor today? Like, what's the marketing campaign that they're planning on? Like, how is my WMS implementation going? Like, what you're not thinking about is like, oh, how do I incrementally increase the value that I'm seeing on the final mile price? Like, you just default to the to brown, purple, or red, white, and blue—that's just what you do, and and you should. So you have a network that you've developed. How many? How many
1: regional carriers are in your network?
0: We have four regional carriers in our network. So on the West Coast, we use uh, a great partner called GLSUS. In the Midwest, we use Better so Trucks. Is, so is that GLUS? Sorry, GLS. us Okay. Yeah, they're GLS is a European company that entered the United States by buying an awesome West Coast regional called Golden State Overnight.
1: Yep. I and Golden
0: that. State Overnight. Golden State, that's a really cool story. Golden State Overnight built its business uh, serving wine clubs. So their network was underpinned by, like, cases of wine going out of California. <laughs> nice partner.
1: Yeah. So that's on the West Coast. What else do you – what's on the other other
0: other so regions? In, in the Midwest, we have better trucks. In the south we have LSO, Lone Star Overnight. And then in the northeast we have CDL. C D L? Yeah. What does that stand for? Columbus Delivery Logistics.
1: Oh, but are they are they in Columbus, Ohio or not?
0: No, no, no. They're uh they're based they're based in New York. So they have operations that center on the five boroughs and go as they basically cover as far south as like the mid Atlantic. So
1: I used to think, until I talked to you, that that someday somebody's going to have some giant merger and acquisition activity and they're going to cobble together all these great regional carriers into a a competitor for, against UPS and FedEx and Postal Service. But you've kind of done that with technology. So explain.
0: I've done it with technology. I've also like done it with incentives to be clear. So the way that the way that Tusk works is we charge our shippers a monthly platform fee. So think of it like a Costco membership, right? Like you I love pay Costco. the yeah, so do I, so do I, you pay, you know, a hundred, I think it's 160 bucks now for the, you know, gold star membership or what have you, or executive membership. And then you get really low pricing on everything inside of the yes. warehouse, right? So We follow a similar model where our shippers pay a monthly platform fee. The presence of that monthly platform fee enables us to keep the cost of our labels very, very low. We don't need to make money on the labels and that works in the shippers' favor. So back to our North Star, like value to the shipper, value to the shipper. And our carrier partners also like it because we have wholesale rates with them. And so they've essentially treated us like a wholesaler, like a channel partner. So they've given us a strong rate, but a profitable rate for them to operate. And then what we do is we go out, we find the shippers, we pitch them and secure them on contracts, and then we handle all of the operations. So we are brokering pickups and then direct injecting sorted labeled volume into our carrier sortation hubs. So they just sit back and get sorted volume and our shippers in exchange for a monthly platform fee, they get the lowest, label, lowest cost labels out there.
1: So, Ben, you hit on a uh, kind of the basics of um, small parcel, which is that pickup, the sortation and the injection. Could you explain, and in, in, not in great detail because we don't have all day, but just- <laughs> it, it, I won't do a dissertation. I yeah, promise. yeah. Just to give us the, the, the five or six bullet points that a, a small parcel would typically go, regardless of, of
0: platforms. I'm happy to. So- what I will say at the outset is that like, what I will not describe is kind of like mom and pop onesie, twosie deliveries. Like that's very much not our focus. So we focus on professional shippers, which for us means folks doing an like an overall average of a hundred pieces a day or more. That's kind of like the threshold for us. So the way that it works in practice is that warehouse operates throughout the day. They pick and pack all day. They have packing stations. Like you've talked to my friend Chana at Rabah. Oh like, yeah, yeah. The, the packing station technology, like they're putting labels on boxes all day. And basically they build volume at a dock door and they're either live loading trailers throughout the day or they're placing parcels into a Gaylord or onto a pallet that then gets wrapped up. And so what happens is in the evening, the carriers either pick up those drop trailers or they route a pickup to that dock door, pick up pallets or Gaylords and then they drive away. So that that pickup, Uh, happens in the evening usually, and then direct injection into the carrier. So direct injection means that truck with those parcels from that warehouse gets delivered to a different warehouse run by the carrier. And inside of that warehouse, they have sortation ability. So like material handling machine, labor, et cetera. And then that sortation usually happens overnight or early in the morning. And then those parcels either go out for delivery in that local market or they're placed onto a separate truck to be line hauled to the city that they will be delivered in. Right.
1: So if I could just, um, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here. So let's just say this yeah. is all happening in Dallas, Texas. And I say, okay, I've got, let's just say I'm that that uh, carrier. I receive tens of thousands of parcels and some are going to go to California. So those got to get on a West Coast truck so it can go
0: line haul to. So if you're FedEx UPS, to the Postal Service, yeah. Then they cover nationally, right? So they have line halls going from Dallas to LA, Dallas to Chicago, Dallas to New York. But if you're a regional and you're injecting into the regionals, Dallas sortation, they also have line halls, but instead of going to California, Chicago, they're actually going to San Antonio, Houston, Oklahoma City, Memphis. They're, so they're it's the same region. same
1: track. It's just smaller.
0: Yeah, and like that 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 tightness of the market really works in the regional carrier's favor because it means they have density. And in well, yeah, and speed and like the density means that they can drive the costs lower. So one of the really powerful things about these regional networks is they have something called a zone one. They have a zone one price. <laughs> right
1: now, explain 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 what you mean by zones and explain how FedEx and UPS I don't think they have have zone one. So explain the zone for us.
0: Yeah. So so if you look at a contract from FedEx or UPS. You will look at the ground rates in, in particular, and you'll see that the, the very first column is uh, a list of the, of the pound rating. And the second column begins the zones, and it starts at zone two. So there's no zone one. And what that means is that zone two, which usually goes, call it 300 miles, give or take. That means it's as, as expensive to send something 299 miles as it is to send something one mile. Now, the cost to the carrier of sending something one mile versus 299 miles is very different, right? So they have less of a cost to serve the very close parcels. They have more cost in the further away parcels, but they have chosen to not give the shipper the benefit of those cheaper parcels now the regionals approach it differently they they have the zone one zone one is their
1: main business
0: (laughs) well yeah i mean that's like the game the game that they've been playing in for decades and as a result shippers get more value with regionals right so there's a zone one there's lower costs and like just to put a finer point on it in chicago if you send a parcel with tusk zone one like a two three pound parcel it's below $5.50 to send it. So that's a 50 mile radius that includes fuel and resi, And it's like the the most economical way to send a parcel across the US.
1: Yeah, and I I say this every once in a while on my podcast just to remind everybody, 80% of the population in the United States is east of the Mississippi. So as we start talking about the East Coast and the Midwest and that includes going farther south, There's a lot of places that are very close to each other. So there's a lot of big cities. I'm in Detroit. We're four and a half hours from Chicago, another 90 minutes over to Milwaukee. I mean, we're all pretty close. And that's, you know, if I went south, I could be in Cleveland in four hours, right? Well, so
0: all those cities you just mentioned, Detroit, Milwaukee, Cleveland, all of those cities, like their proximity means they are inherently a great fit for regionals. And as a result, like if you inject parcels into our network in Chicago and it gets sorted overnight. It's out for delivery in all those markets the next day. And like, that's the power of the regionals. They have the line halls running, they have the sortation locally and centrally, and they have the value. It's just really hard to access them at scale. And that's what we're solving for.
1: Yeah, so let me ask this. I know you, you partner with these four companies and that means you you in effect, Tusk, and with your partner carriers, are able to provide basically nationwide coverage?
0: Yeah, right now we cover just below two-thirds of the U.S. population, but we have aspirations of being everywhere. You're still adding, right? Oh, yeah. like uh, For us, the next region that we're focused on is the southeast with a particular focus on Florida. And then the next one is likely to be the boston slash true northeast call it like boston the portland maine that zone
1: the yankees (laughs) yeah the
0: real yankees yeah 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 (laughs) but yeah we we very much are are focused on population coverage not zip code coverage so like you should not expect us to be delivering to you know a a homestead in rural south dakota for the foreseeable future
1: what's interesting about that is When I was doing less than truckload, I remember every once in a while, we would have a shipment out in somewhere out in the middle of the country. The LTL carriers, most, and I don't think people think about this, there's not that many national LTL carriers. And Old Dominion's one, FedEx is one, Yellow, I guess, is one, YRC, whatever you want to call (laughs) it. They changed their name every few years. But but there's, I always, we used a lot of USF Holland. They're not national, but they had partners. And so they, a lot of these companies, which we would ship with them. And it'd sometimes be on somebody would pick it up in you know Nebraska somewhere and drive it the other two hundred miles with a partner carrier, and that was fine. I mean, nobody cared as long as it got there, right? Yeah, and and like for us,
0: we I mean we will eventually cover those rural areas. The way we'll do it is by partnering with with either well probably a service that leverages the postal service. Quite honestly. We have nothing against those rural deliveries because we see so much value in the urban areas and we still have a lot of network building that we're focused on. So that's where our focus
1: is. By the way, and and I haven't read about it lately, but um, our buddies over at Amazon, which I think you could almost call them a small parcel company at this one minute.
0: Oh, no, definitely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And uh, we
1: don't don't call them that because they only deliver their own stuff. Well- I don't. I never want to say they just because the, the next day they'll introduce that service. But
0: they're one hiccup by Andy Jassy away from white labeling their service um, and being a small parts but from what.
1: Sure. But from what I understand, they are partnering with mom, pa businesses around the country in rural areas. So I'll think about like Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which I know a lot of people from Wisconsin would call that. Lower Wisconsin, but it's the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. You might say, "Hey, we're going to partner with a company up there that has a big store, and that's where we're going to have our deliveries to, and let them do the last last mile." And there's an opportunity for them to make some money on it. And I'm thinking, that's kind of the way the mail was delivered until probably a hundred years ago because there were a lot of rural areas. And so you say, we will deliver to the general store and they can deliver it, or you can go pick it up at the general store.
0: Yeah. It is it is a matter of cost to serve and the cost that you have to charge, right? And leaving it up to the customer to a degree to decide if they want to pay that premium for that rural delivery to their, you know, Northwoods cabin, or if they're cool driving to the hardware store 12 minutes away and picking it up, like that's up to the customer to decide.
1: So there's a lot of companies, and I think I talked to DHL not so long ago, and they said, we are investing a lot in sortation. So they would, they're working with companies that would say, okay, we will, we will pick that up. We'll take it to our sortation facility and they're injecting it into the postal service. Am I right? So they don't have a final mile cap. their final mile partner is in effect the postal service.
0: So DHL is an incredible company, also incredibly complicated, if I'm being quite honest. So what oh, yeah. you're referring to is a service called DHL e-commerce. And DHL e commerce, yes, they're essentially a parcel select provider that relies on the postal service to do their last mile deliveries. And then DHL Express, that's like the premier white glove, you know, the international service. And they actually they have their red and yellow drivers that will actually come to your location through pickups, through drop-offs.
1: Yeah, and not so long ago, until, I don't know, 10 years ago, DHL was doing intra. Right now, they're to the United States and international, but they used to manage internal. So they they changed their business. And I think what was wild is DHL is a much bigger company than FedEx or UPS. So I think there's a lot of expectations. They're going to show up here. They're going to build the density they need and they're going to kill it. And it's not an easy business, is it?
0: <laughs> it is not it is not an easy business. No, no, no. I mean it's it's this business is incredibly challenging. It's incredibly challenging operationally, economically, from you know, a customer support and acquisition standpoint. But it's also a massive business and it's not going anywhere. And oh, it's getting we, bigger. We, we and there's need a it. lot of room to innovate. Yeah, everybody needs it. I and mean, we we saw that need explode during the pandemic, obviously. So
1: when we talked the other day, I, we touched on this idea of, let's just say, um, I'm in LA and I need something shipped, let's just say, to Chicago. Now you have one regional out there and you have another regional here. How does that work? How do, how do you manage the inter-regional,
0: let's call handoff, the baton handoff there? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So the answer to that, Joe, is what's something that we call cross-regional direct-inject line hauls which is a long way of saying a truck drives from one regional sortation to the other, and we direct inject. And the advantage to that is that we essentially are opening up access to those networks for the customer, for the shipper, that does not sit within that regional service area. So we're allowing folks in a San Francisco to inject into a market like Chicago, pick up that really low regional price in Chicago and then they they only have to pay for the cost of the line haul and for Tusk's monthly platform fee and we manage it all. So this is so basically when you go to and I'm sure you're going out to the,
1: the 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 top ones when you go out to these regionals they are right now somewhat limited outside their region for business. So if somebody says to them, "God, we we have a lot of business in Chicago, but we're based in LA. If it wasn't for that we have a lot of California business which you do great at, but what are you going to do about our Midwest.
0: Yeah. I mean, Joe, the reason I'm smiling, and I guess folks listening won't see that I'm smiling, but I am smiling. <laughs> and the reason I'm smiling is because a lot of our regional carriers are starting to come to us and they're saying, Hey, Ben, like, you know, we have a a closed loss lead in Las Vegas. And this lead said to us, Hey, we really like your West Coast service, but it's just not worth it to us. Like we need something that'll earn more volume out of our building to make the integration worthwhile. And that's where Tusk can step in. So we step in in conjunction with our carrier partner, and then we co-pitch, right? So we say, hey, listen, do the integration with Tusk. Tusk will keep the volume on the West Coast with that West Coast carrier, and then that West Coast carrier can facilitate direct injection via our line hauls to the other markets.
1: So you'll continue to add regional partners as it makes sense, as there's a the
0: right fit, right? <laughs> yeah. Again. Shippers first. And the North Star for us is value to the shipper. And that means oftentimes more carrier options. But we have a high bar for quality. Like, for example, everything is fully tracked, right? Like we would never integrate a carrier that doesn't have tracking. That's a very basic requirement for us. Other things like visual proof of delivery. Stuff but like
1: that. I, I know of, and I won't mention names, but I know some of these are basically doing parcel on the back of like LTL tr- shipments. So I could see where they would have, I'm thinking of somebody very small, I won't mention their name. And I, what I think about it is you couldn't partner with them very easily because their lack of
0: technology might, might be a deal breaker for you. <laughs> we see, oh yeah, for sure. We see value as encompassing more than just low cost alone, right? Like there's a lot of value in our ability as Tusk to be proactively monitoring the parcels, right? And we do that with tracking status updates. We do it with test parcels that we put into the network. We do it by knowing the hub managers of those networks, being able to call them when something goes wrong. And like... The value that a tough shipper gets, not just from the low cost, but like someone who's watching their volume and taking action and notifying them when something has gone wrong or is likely to go wrong, that's as valuable as a low cost parcel, right? So we can't do that unless our carrier partners are very good.
1: So if I'm working with you, am I in your system? Is that where I'm tracking my stuff or I'm not getting sent to multiple systems,
0: I take it? (laughs) No, no. I don't see a lot of value, quite honestly, in telling a shipper, like, hey, here's another platform you have to train your team to manage and log into. And so the way we do it is we very easily integrate into the existing WMS, TMS systems, whatever that system is in the warehouse that that shipper uses. And we integrate into that system. And then often we connect with the operators directly, the operators of that warehouse via Slack. So we're just like pinging back and forth on Slack. And then um, we're sending them notifications automatically and manually when something goes wrong or we think it's likely to go wrong with any given parcel because then they can tell their, their customer and get ahead of like the, hey, where's my parcel question? Yep. Well, this reminds me a little bit like
1: we've always, everybody knows about freight brokers. Freight brokers go out and connect with great carriers and their responsibility to the carriers is I'm going to get you good good shippers. I'm going to find some freight for you and if a carrier's not performing if they're doing stuff wrong if you know they if they lose their license whatever you say okay we're going to pull that so we but we got 20,000 other carriers now we're seeing that same mindset with warehousing so you look at us companies like stored or where to go they didn't go out and buy a location In every major city, I think we've called the NFL cities. I think it's thirty-six cities or whatever. They didn't do that, and and by the way, now I can proudly say Detroit's an NFL city. We almost made the playoffs, (laughs) and uh, that's that's good. Yeah, I know that was that was tough. That was tough for you, Backer fans. But (laughs) but those companies like Stored or Where to Go or Flex are saying we are going to connect. They're almost like the same as a freight broker in that. We brought on a whole bunch of great warehousing companies that might have been one-offs. They might have one location in Portland, Oregon. They might have two or three locations, but they don't have that nationwide footprint that somebody might be looking for. So now other companies, like Lineage, said we will go ahead and buy up a lot of this, which is great also. I mean, obviously a great fit. But
0: Well, that depends on... That depends on capital structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Lineage, a, just a different, in a different, different, a different world. Boat. Different world. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but no, you're, you're absolutely. You're kind right. of doing the and, same thing here. Is as,
1: as you bring on great local, uh, regional carriers. I'm imagining at some point you're going to say, "Okay, we have the top ten regional carriers, and we are covering ninety-nine percent of the country in, and we're happy." and uh you'll be working with all your carriers to say how can we do better right how do how do we all work better how do we make this this uh even better for our customers
0: joe we're doing that we're doing that today like again the north star is driving value to the shippers right so in that spirit what we do is we provide reporting to our carrier partners and we say like hey when a parcel is injected into this hub the service is great when it's in this hub it's not so great <laughs> yeah but we think it's not so great because what we're seeing is that there's missorts sorts on parcels greater than 24 inches. Well, that probably means that it can't be automatically sorted. So there's something wrong with the process for oversize sortation in that warehouse. And then they can go and say, OK, we need to retrain people on how to manually scan parcels upon receipt. Like there's, stu- there's a lot that we could do in conjunction. And we do do. And the end result of that, quite honestly, is better service, better performance and lower costs. And it works in the interest of the shipper. That's why we do it.
1: So you guys but you've been around a while long enough that you got some good customers and typically they're coming to you because they just want another option other than the big three or big three or four that are out there. And who's your sweet spot? I mean, I heard you earlier say at least a hundred shipments a day.
0: Who's your sweet spot for Tusk? This is a great question, Joe. We actually spent a ton of time internally like measuring and answering this question. So our sweet spot today is a shipper that uses shipstation and sells on shopify or a 3pl that serves that type of shipper. So think of it as we call them professional shippers. The ballpark volume is call it 100 to 5000 parcels per day out of any given location. We can integrate really quickly unlock significant savings, probably 40% per piece on average. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that's great. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome to be in a business where you can kind of like unlock that much savings. I,
1: now, I know this is um, related to cold chain, but I've talked to people over the years who ask me, how do I sell my blank? And it's usually a cold chain thing on via small par- e-commerce. And I was like, probably can't <laughs> because the cost of it is so high. And that's changing,
0: changing to a degree. No,
1: I know it is because of companies like yours and, but there's a lot of companies that thought, oh, I'm gonna sell my ice cream online. I know uh, Salt and Stick out out west does it. You find some unique th- cases, but sometimes certain businesses weren't feasible because of the cost of the parcel. And I feel like when you come down 40% off that, all of a sudden you go, Ooh, wait, maybe we have some opportunity now.
0: Yeah, and and to be fully transparent, like Tusk is not coming into a building and earning a hundred percent of their volume. Right. Like we are a very strong number two in the building most times, and we're earning, call it twenty twenty five percent of the volume out of the building. Now, forty percent of twenty five percent—that's you know closing in on ten percent savings in a building. And you can use that ten percent. Like if you're a three panel, you're also growing too. That's the thing.
1: You're not getting. You're not going to be smaller next year. You're going to bring more savings next year.
0: Yeah, and and at the end of the day. Value to the shipper means like value to them that they can use to put it in their pocket or they can use to lower their free shipping threshold or they can pass it to a new shipper to earn the business. If you're a 3PL, like it's up to them how they use it.
1: Yeah. You were telling me the other day about a company that you saved like a million bucks and, uh, you can blow that on food and shelter. (laughs) Anyway. Um, no, we don't ask questions. We
0: just uh, (laughs) save the money. So, uh, How'd you come up with the name Tusk
1: Logistics?
0: The honest story, Joe, is that it's the Fleetwood Mac song. My girls love it. And we always turn it on in the van when we're driving. And my my girls who are six, five, and two just yell, Tusk. <laughs> and so when we were thinking about when we were thinking about a business name, I was like, I was really racking my brain. I was having a hard time with it. And then I was in the car and we were rocking out and I was like, oh man, I this just, is I, That name.
1: somehow popped up on my social media feed like a few months ago where it's like, oh my God, I forgot all about Tusk.
0: Oh, oh man, it's just like such a slow build and then like they just oh, scream it out. It's a powerful song. Yeah, it's awesome.
1: I'll have to link, I'll put a link. So there's there's a whole bunch of youngsters going, what the hell are these geezers talking about? It's a Fleetwood Mac song. I'll put a link to it. It was, it was innovative back then. Yeah.
0: Our logo is a, is a mastodon. I like the, the power. of. I like logo. it, but it's really the song. It's really the song.
1: I talked to Oren Zaslansky from flock freight and I, uh, the conversations that came up Chicago guy, I believe, right? Uh, he's, from, yeah, I think he's, he's grew up Chicago. in San Diego. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he, um, he, he said we're, uh, we're a unicorn technically. And then, then some, but, uh, we don't like to. We don't identify with that, so we call ourselves a Rhino instead. I was like, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Anyway, so you're getting back to it. Your sweet spot is at, at least a hundred parcels a day, and up to five thousand. And so those are going to be. Um,
0: I mean, listen, Joe. To be clear, we would take more for sure. Like we're in the business of serving volume, but yeah, our sweet. But spot I mean, are is- these?
1: Are you working with the warehousing companies? Or are you working with e-commerce companies, or both?
0: So we work with the shipper. That's why we say shipper. So we work with the entity that's physically putting the widget into the box and physically applying a label to that box. So it could be a direct-to-consumer brand that has their own warehouse. It could be a 3PL. It could be the 4PL. Like our, our customer is the shipper. Excellent.
1: I like it. I like it. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. I'll put a link to... Uh, Tusk Logistics in the show notes. And I will see you at Manifest, of course. And one other thing, what, what other conferences? I know I'll see you at Manifest. What other
0: conferences are you guys going to be at? Uh, we'll be at Shop Talk. Uh, we'll be at Home what is Delivery that? World. Shop Talk. Okay, Shop in, Talk. It's in Vegas in, in late March. It's a great show for e-commerce. So your listeners should take a look at it. I've been looking at all different kinds of shows, like the e-tail shows as well. But we'll for sure be at Manifest, Shop Talk, Home Delivery World, Parcel Forum. And probably like the e-tail shows as well, like e West, stuff like that.
1: Excellent. Excellent. So put you on the spot here. Who should I have on my podcast? A, a smart young man like yourself, or it could be even an older
0: guy, could be a gal out there. <laughs> Somebody smart like yourself on my podcast. You should talk with a guy who I have a deep amount of respect for. His name is Jamie Moriarty, and he runs a company called Cold Chain 3PL. And they're All right. I will do it. Doing do they innovative do? stuff in the cold chain space. So they basically are a fulfillment house, a 3PL for brands that ship fresh and frozen items. Oh, no, we we're just talking about how hard cold chain is. Cold chain is, is an incredibly the advanced under, course under resourced <laughs> area. Yeah. They do a lot of good work in, in cold chain. So I'll take a look at Jamie Moriarty. Introduce with me. Cold chain 3PL. I will. I will.
1: Excellent. Well, I really appreciate you coming on my podcast. Uh, I really love what you're doing. Again, I feel like I, I was asking this for years. When is somebody gonna connect all these regionals and you're doing it? And
0: And little did you know it was a beer
1: drinking barbarian <laughs> from Wisconsin that that's would right. figure it out. <laughs> that's where the that's where the damn Vikings went. <laughs> yeah. no, that's not exactly well they Viking. went to they went to Minnesota. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. I, 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 but um I love what you're doing. And again, I think it's so great because, again, as e-commerce explode, we need more options, not fewer options. And let's face it, UPS and FedEx get better because companies like yours are out there saying, hey, you got to keep getting better if you want to be in this space.
0: We have a lot of respect for them, but there's also a lot more that our industry could do to drive value to shippers. And we're happy to be a small part of that. So yeah, if your listeners would like to learn more, they could reach out to us via our website, tusklogistics.com. We have a form there that they can fill out and that'll go right to my inbox quite honestly and we'll reach out to do an impact analysis for them see how much we can save
1: i love it i love it i'm waiting i'm waiting to to, uh ups and fedex have to say yeah we're uh we're afraid we're 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 frightened of this 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 monster that's growing beneath us
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can't wait either but uh (laughs) <laughs> it's going to be a mess. I think we're more of a, a fly that they got to swat right <laughs> now. And we're That's all right. Bigger
1: and bigger. That's all right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time, Ben. Thank you, Joe. Be well.
0: Yep. And thank all of
1: you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward.